0: Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So uh, how many of you are public speakers? Let me see your hands if you're a public speaker that you speak regularly in front of others. Oh, very few of us here in the room. Okay, so you know, well, and if you're a teacher, I know we have a lot of teachers, raise your hand if you're a teacher, you're in front of people, there we go, okay. You know that sometimes it really works, that you just find your groove and you're in the moment and everything is going really well and then there are other times where you're just saying, please God, let this be over. That was 8: 30 this morning. <laughs> Boy, am I really inspiring you to listen to the message this morning? Yeah. So uh, you talked to somebody in the 8:30. it was a rough morning, right? And so I thought, OK, here comes 11 o'clock. So I've reworked everything. You ready? I have no idea what's going to happen, but I trust the Lord is going to speak, and what I would encourage you to do, regardless of how well the next 20 or 30 minutes goes, or I might just go four or five hours. Who knows? Follow the Lord, follow the Lord for your whole life. If you walk away with that one idea, then we will have succeeded. So uh, maybe this is why things went sideways this morning. I had a professor in seminary when I was doing my graduate study. He said, never start your sermon with a joke, never. Now it's okay to use humor, but don't start with a joke because if the joke bombs, it's going to be a uphill slog all the way. So, is that a pretty much a hint that I'm going to start with a joke? Here we go. And and by the way, as a disclaimer, I really don't know if this is funny or not. (laughs) Again, I'm not inspiring you at all today, am I? But whether it's funny or not, it does make a really good point, and that's why I'm using it. So, there was um, an obnoxious military officer still swaggering from his recent promotion to the rank of captain. He was addressing all of his troops and the private ran up to him with a message from headquarters. The captain, assuming it was yet another letter of congratulations, told the private to read it out loud in front of him and all the troops. He said, sir, you may want to read this one privately. To which the captain said, I gave you an order, son, read it. And so the private read it aloud, loud enough for everyone to hear. The message read, Captain, you are proving to be… The most incompetent officer that has ever served in the U.S. Army. If you do not shape up within a week's time, I shall remove you from command and reduce you in rank, signed, Colonel Smith." Immediately without missing a beat, the captain said, good job, Private, now go have that message decoded. (laughs) Okay, not too bad, I think we survived that one together, right? So the reason I like that story is not because it's necessarily funny, and thank you for the sympathy laugh, by the way, I do appreciate that. What I really do like about this story is it illustrates the idea that, and and often this is true as we read the Bible, sometimes we go to great effort to find hidden meanings when really what we're doing, when we're looking for hidden meanings, it's a vain attempt to avoid the obvious. Many times in messages, we look for hidden meanings, and it's a vain attempt to avoid the obvious. And I see this play out, if, uh, if you're not aware of this genre of literature, good, stay away from it. There's a whole series of books about the Bible code. That somehow hidden in the Bible is this hidden message. If you take the Hebrew letters and correspond them to numbers, there's this hidden code in the Bible. Listen, the job of the Bible is not to conceal, the job of the Bible is to reveal. And it's not about revealing or concealing a code. The Bible is there to reveal Christ to us. But even with that genre of literature aside, sometimes we do the same thing as we read the scripture. We read about Cain killing Abel, and then in Genesis 4, he goes off east of Eden, and he marries and settles down and lives under a curse. And and we say, now where did he get a woman to marry, right? And there are answers, there are hypotheses to all of that. But in wondering who Cain married, We forget the idea that anger sometimes leads to murder. And anger and murder will destroy your family. That's the main point of this. So as we read the Bible, it's very important that we're not looking for these hidden messages or trying to decode it in some way or have it to satisfy our curiosity. The job of Scripture is to point us to Jesus and the job of Jesus is to point us to God. Let's keep focused on that and wouldn't it be great every time we pick up the Bible and read it, we just say I wanna learn more about Jesus and by the way, wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church that instead of focusing on all the different issues that are happening around us that divide so many people, what if we said we're just gonna be a part of a church because we wanna focus on Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church like that? Let me ask that again. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church like that? then let's focus on that right so now we're gonna bring all this to bear on a very challenging part of Scripture and every time I say this I think Hebrews can't get any harder it does okay but to get what we're about to read in Hebrews chapter 7 we need to do a bit of a quick flashback all right and this will go all the way back to Genesis 14 It's 2,000 years before Jesus Abraham He's gonna be the father of the Jewish nation. By the way, it was Abraham's job. From him would come a nation. From one person would grow a nation. From this nation would come one person, Jesus Christ, who would be the savior of the world. So that's pretty much the best summation I can give to the whole story of the Bible. But it's way back here in Genesis 14. Abraham, his possessions, his flocks, become too much for the land to bear because he's living close to his nephew Lot. They're both being very prosperous. And in order for the land to support both of their possessions, their cattle, their sheep, their goats, they have to separate. And Lot happens to choose a section of land and Abraham takes the other. But Lot locates himself in a place where there are some civil tensions, where there are some problems going on. Uh, Recently, I watched a documentary on John DeLorean. (laughs) How many of you remember the DeLorean from back in the back in the dark ages, right? Did anybody in here own a DeLorean? I've always wanted to travel in time, so I think I might get a DeLorean. But John DeLorean, when he created his factory in order to produce the DeLorean, you know where his factory was located? Northern Ireland, where there was civil unrest and civil war broke out and pretty much broke his company. Well, that's Lot. He chooses this area over here, and there's a lot of civil tension. There's tension going on between kings, there's a war, and Lot and all of his possessions are hauled off into captivity, Abraham, who's over here, goes, I can't stand that. They have harmed my family member, and so he gets together a group of men, goes over and wages war, and recaptures Lot and all of his possessions. And then in three verses in Genesis 14, I think it's verse 18, 19, and 20, we see this shadowy figure. He steps out stage left, does a thing or two, and disappears stage right, and we never hear from him again. He's a priest called Melchizedek. The only time that we hear about him is just in this little snippet of a story. And we know very little about Melchizedek, but I want you to get this, and here's kind of the the main point I want to drive home this morning. The little we know about Melchizedek tells us so much about Jesus the little we know about melchizedek tells us so very much about jesus so this is hebrews chapter 7 actually i want to back up into verse 6 chapter 6 the very last sentence of hebrews 6 says he has become jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of melchizedek now Before we read this next passage, here's what's important to understand and to remember. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Jews. And Jews were steeped in their Jewish idea of worship, which meant going to the temple and having the priest, the Levites, intercede on their behalf to pray for them, to offer offerings for the forgiveness of sins. And even though Christianity was still young, as Jews converted to Christianity, or really as Jews saw the fulfillment of their Jewish faith in Christ, many of them missed the old temple worship. Many of them missed having a Levite pray over them. Many of them missed having a Levite offer a sacrifice on their behalf. And what the writer of Hebrews tries to tell us is this you have a better priest now. Not that's a Levite. Not that's descended from Aaron. You have a a new priest in the order of Melchizedek. So don't go back to the Jewish religion. That's not where your future is. Your future is going out here and following Jesus. You still have a priest, though he's very different. So here's what it says in chapter 7, verse 1, this Melchizedek, and keep this idea, what little we know about Melchizedek tells us so much about Jesus. Look at the words. This Melchizedek was king of Salem. Jesus Christ is king. Can I just ask you the very direct question, who rules your life today? For most of us, If we're honest, we'll say, me, we're our own king. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to allow him to be the king of our life. By the way, king of Salem, that might look familiar. This same place where he was king would be renamed later Jerusalem, New New Salem, okay? So he's king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. Jesus Christ is called to be our priest as He is called to be our King. He intercedes for us before God. So this Melchizedek, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means King of Righteousness, but it also, also King of Salem, which means King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, Resembling the Son of God, He remains a priest forever. Now, where we got bogged down in the first service, and so I'm just going to do a a few quick snapshots, and then we're going to get to the real key point here. The rest of Hebrews chapter 7 talks about Jesus being superior. He's superior to any Levitical priest. And it talks about Jesus being different. He's a different kind of priest than what you're accustomed to. And it says, not only is Jesus superior, not only he, is he different, but if you look all the way down to verse 16, he is also indestructible. Priests have a bad habit, like pastors, of dying at some point in their life. And so there's, the priests are always changing, he said, this priest doesn't change. By the way, do you realize that we stu- still do not know today who invented and copyrighted the fire hydrant? Because the copyright papers were lost in a fire, isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> right? Here we have a priest who is superior, who's different and who is indestructible. So don't go back to the old Levitical worship. That's not where your future is. You're going back to an old way of life. Go forward into the future. Don't go back to religion. Step forward in a relationship with a new priest. So now here's the money verse. Here's the one. The whole chapter kind of focuses in on this. It's verse 25, if there was a verse I would encourage you to memorize this week, this would be it. Therefore he, because Jesus is superior, because he's different, because he's indestructible, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If you have a pencil, you may wanna underline that phrase, come to God. Um, I shared with you a few weeks ago that there's a phrase that shows up seven times in the book of Hebrews, and sometimes it's lost in the translation. It's the phrase to draw near. Draw near, draw near, draw near, draw Seven times in the book of Hebrews, that's right here. He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him. So a few weeks ago, we were at a, a wedding young man who had grown up here in this church, he had gone to college, met a young lady and so I was privileged to be a part of their wedding and it does make one feel a little odd when I remember dedicating them as a baby and now I'm doing their wedding. And so I had a wonderful outdoor wedding, that's always rolling the dice by the way, not that I would know how to roll dice because I'm a Baptist. It's always rolling the dice to do an outdoor wedding but then we went inside for a wonderful reception and we're sitting at the reception table with some friends of ours who have a young daughter about four years old. And out in the middle of the room was the wedding cake. Three-tiered, white, beautiful, pristine. And the little four-year-old at our table was awestruck. And so at one point when no one was looking, she picked up her spoon. See where this is going? She picks up her spoon, she escapes the gaze of her mom and dad and went over and just took a big swipe out of the front, right? Yeah. And so the mom saw, but oh too late, went over and and grabbed her and pulled her aside, but the damage had been done. So the mom comes to my wife, Paula, and if you know Paula, this is true of her, she's a problem solver. And so the distraught mother turns to my wife and goes, Paula, you're a problem solver, what do I do? And my wife looked deep in her eyes and said, you're on your own, sister. (laughs) Actually, that's not what happened. The the way these things work out, so, so my wife is right there, she goes, actually, I know the lady who designed the cake and she's here tonight. Let me go get her. And so my wife gets up, goes get the cake designer, they go over and look at the damage together. And what made me most nervous is the cake designer turned to my wife and said, would you pick up the cake? Let's take it back in the kitchen. And so my wife is crossing this crowded room with this wedding cake. I go, this is going from bad to worse, right? But the designer was able to fix the problem. And by the way, everyone had a great sense of humor about it. If we put a cake in front of a four-year-old, what do we think is going to happen, right? And it was all fixed. What I love about that story is simply this. Came to my wife. My wife couldn't fix the problem but she knew intimately who could. Listen, we all come in here with all kinds of different stuff going on in our life. Hopefully life is good for you and you're strong, but maybe you're haunted by something in your past or you're troubled by something happening in your present or you're worried about something happening in your future. Listen, I don't know how to fix your problems. You don't either or you would have already done it. But I know someone who can. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because right now here's what this verse says Jesus Christ lives and he is interceding on your behalf so just as a very practical outflow of this the command of Hebrews 7:25 is draw near to God so i would encourage you to do a couple of things just as application draw near to God continually Listen, we talked before about we are living in a day where people are dismantling their faith, they are deconstructing their faith, they are deconverting from their faith. We need every day to draw near to God continually. Peter Gregg has written a wonderful little book on prayer, and in it he tells a story. Um, He was traveling internationally. His eight-year-old son was distraught that his dad was going to be gone from home for a couple of weeks, so in an impulse. He said, son, here's my cell phone number. He wrote it down. You call me anytime you want to. Parents, do not make this mistake, right? Because the son didn't understand about meetings and time zones. And so many times he was calling during this very important time, very important meeting. The dad said, well, I promise to pick up, I better. Or in the middle of the night, I have to wake up and talk to my son because he wants to tell me about his Legos. It's one of those deals that he promised And even though it was disruptive to him, he wanted to make good. By the way, that's a great dad. Draw near to God continually. I promise you, you will not be disturbing him. You can talk to him anytime you need to and I encourage you to draw near to God daily. So not only to draw near to God continually, draw near to God authentically please forget a lot of the prayers that you heard growing up in church and start laying your life out as it really is before God so I have a friend who's gone through a a rather difficult time lately and he texted me he said right now the only thing I can think to pray by the way this is gonna offend some of you I'm sorry but this was just the conversation he said the only thing I can think to pray right now is God what the heck except he didn't use the word heck and all I could tell him was if that's what you feel that's probably what you ought to pray now for those of you that that does offend your sensibilities don't you think it's better to open up to God and tell him what you really think rather than pretend like things are just fine when they're not I see that in Mary and Martha Jesus rolls into Bethany after Lazarus had been dead for four days the thing is, they had sent him a message the week before, your friend is sick, please come, and Jesus intentionally delayed. And so when Jesus comes into Bethany, you know what Mary and Martha say? Jesus, what the heck? We sent you a message. You knew what, where were you? And I think that's one of the reasons that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were so good friends with Jesus, because they spoke to him authentically. They drew near, and they shared with him what was really going on in their life. And I I think we do need to be careful about being irreverent toward God, but if I'm reading the Scripture properly, pretense is the highest form of irreverence. Just telling God what you think, at least you're talking to Him, and you're talking real to Him. So draw near to God continually. Draw near to God authentically. And draw near to God relentlessly. I've been reading this summer, can't tell you why, about the desert fathers and mothers. These group of desert disciples um, followed Jesus about 300 years after his resurrection. They were so troubled by the world, they withdrew, they lived in the desert, they did battle with the devil, they did battle with themselves, they tried to surrender their lives fully to God. And because their reputation spread, people came from all over and they went out into the desert to seek counsel and wisdom from these desert fathers and mothers. It was like these people are trying to live authentically, I need to learn from them. And so, one particular high-profiled church member of Alexandria, he travels far out into the desert. He's affluent. He's from the city, he's dignified, he's a powerful person, he approaches this monk and it's not important what he does, but the monk is living in such a way or he does something that could prove to be offensive to this real high profile person. And after that high profile person left, the disciple of this desert father said, why did you act that way? Don't you realize who he is? He's a powerful person. He's a prestigious person. Why did you act in such a way that might offend him? He goes, you know what? My life is not about offending other people or not. Everyone makes their own decision. He pretty much said this. If he wanted to be edified, he'll be edified. But if he wants to be offended, he'll be offended. You know, in our culture, some of the most powerful words you can say, some of the, most, the scariest words you can say is, I am offended. Can we be honest for just a minute? Don't you think that's on you? That's on you, whether you're offended or not. I think given the same circumstance, any person can be edified. We can say, here's something to learn from this, or we can be offended. By the way, could I encourage you, don't live your life being offended. It's a terrible way to live. Why not go through life and say, I can learn this and this, and by the way, I didn't agree with this. Now I learned what not to do. I say all that because I'm about to say something that can edify you. I'm also about to say something that could deeply offend you. The choice is yours. We often talk about, well, God meets people where they are. And I agree, we like that. That feels good. In fact, that's true or Jesus would not have come to earth. God meets people where they are. But I think this is also true. We must meet God where He is. It's true to say that God will meet people where they are. But you know what? You need to meet God where He is. And do you know where He is? Right back there. Now, not that stained glass. You know what I'm talking about. The cross reveals to us who God really is. He is a God who's willing to give anything for a relationship with us. The cross reveals God's level of sacrifice and this cross reveals what's expected of us. That If we follow Jesus Christ, we take up our cross and here's the offensive part, there is no eternity, there is no hope, there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. That has become a very offensive thing in our culture to say that Jesus is the only way to God. I wouldn't say that. Jesus is not a way to God. Jesus is the person that draws us near to God. And it would be arrogant if we were the ones who said it. But he said it. And the scripture says it over and over and over again. In fact, it says it in Hebrews 7:25. Only he can save completely those who draw near to God through him. And so, Friends, draw near to God. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.